come and build a church. This this fall, we are, are talking about how that looks through the lens of, of the book of Acts, really focusing on what it means for us to be the church, uh, trying to answer the question of what does it look like to be a church in a world that is constantly changing, in a world that is, is rapidly on the move. And, and we're looking to answer that question through the lens of the early church. My hope is that we see that even though our cultures and our, our contexts are, are different, that there's a lot that we can learn from the early Christian community. This morning will be uh, mostly in Acts 2 and also a little bit in Acts 6. Uh, we'll also be in Exodus a little bit if you want to you know, open your Bibles and be in Exodus 18. But the words will also all be up on the screen that you can follow along there. As we dive in, will you please join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your word and for the example set by the early church. Lord, as we seek to live as a community committed to a journey of faith and service, we ask that you would be our guide. Give us ears to hear what you have for us this morning, Lord, and and take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So many of you know that I'm, I'm a pretty big baseball fan. I, I grew up in, in San Diego, grew up a, a Padre fan. Um, this last week, I, I flew for a quick trip. I went to Denver for, for a quick trip on Thursday, came back yesterday uh, to go to a Padres-Rockies game. And so, you know I'm a pretty big fan if I'm flying to Denver to go watch a fourth and fifth place team play against each other. One of my, my good friends is getting married, and... Um, he's a bigger Padre fan than I am, and he a bigger baseball fan than I am. And this was his 26th of 30 parks that he has visited. And so his goal is to see all the parks. It was his bachelor party, and so we went out to watch a baseball game together. It was a lot of fun. Um, but every September, I'm, I'm, I'm learning, every September for the last seven years, I've had to swallow my hometown San Diego pride and accept a reality. Except for reality. The Dodgers very much are the best team in the National League West. The Dodgers have been the best team in the National League West for the last seven years. I'm saying it, Tom, and it's, it's painful to say. The Dodgers really, really have been the best team for the last seven years. Last Tuesday, the Dodgers clinched their seventh consecutive divisional title. Seven years of winning the National League West. And it's kind of crazy to think about what's gone into that streak. And for me, it's even crazier to think that it's half as long as the longest streak of the most winning team, the team that's won their divisional playoff league the the most. The Atlanta Braves did it from the late 90s to the mid-2000s, 14 years straight. 14 years straight of winning their division. Now, it takes a lot for, for a baseball team to, to continue to win year after year after year. A lot of people knock the Dodgers and say, well, they have a massive payroll, which is true, they do. You know, they just go out and, and purchase everyone and buy everyone. But that's not true. They have developed a lot of young players on their team. They've, they've worked from the bottom of the organization to the top of the organization to build a great team. And to do that for seven consecutive years takes a lot from the minor league teams to the professional team. 
Every coach, every manager, every scout, every trainer, every person in the front office. We could go on and on. Every fan, all of you. It takes all of that to win for seven years. And baseball is just a game. And I know we're not all baseball fans. But the reality is, anytime a group of people come together with a common goal, and they reach that goal for a sustained period of time, They are coming together and working together as a team. Everybody has to be familiar with their role. They have to know their role. They have to own their role. They have to respect the roles that other plays. Everybody has to work together to get a team to move in the same direction. So when you think of the church, I'm a little curious whether it's it's here at WPC or, or elsewhere, and you think of the roles that we all play in the church, what are some of those roles? This is the response time. What, what, what are some of the roles? Deacon. What else? Elder. I heard deacon, elder. Did you say some? Teacher. Choir. Pastor. Pastor. Hey, thanks, Darf. Any other roles? What was that? Staff. What did you say? I heard something else. Congregants, yes. Musicians. Everyone has a role in the church. Everyone has a role, an important role to play in the church. When the Apostle Paul wrote his, his letter to the early churches, he often referred to the church as one body with many members or, or one community where everyone played an important part. Everyone had a role. But before he wrote those letters, the church that's described in the the first part of Acts was, was really just figuring out how to journey together how to organize themselves with one another. They, they had their Jewish heritage to lean on and, and kind of knew the structure of the temple and, and how that looked. But, but outside of that, they didn't really have any examples or models that they can say, that is, is how we're going to live. That's how we're going to function. To a degree, it was a blank slate. In the first part, in the first passage that we read, I should say, from Acts 2, we see this, this picture of a community that's committed to the apostles' teaching, to spending time with one another, to breaking bread, and, and to prayer. They're committed to those four things. And because of their commitment, because of their devotion, they're, they're filled with awe. They're filled with, with, with this awe and wonder of what God is doing in their world and in their community together. The, the general public, they took notice. They looked at what the early church was doing and they said, hey, that's exciting. I want to be a part of that. And because of that, we're told that the Lord added to their number daily. And then over time, over time, their needs changed. The dynamics of their community looked a little bit different. And it forced them to adjust. They had to learn to adapt. And starting at Acts chapter 6, verse 1, we read this. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, 
whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man of full faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I've shared uh, my call to pastoral ministry with with many of you before, but when I read this, this first part of Acts, specifically what we just read in Acts 6, these, these vivid pictures of the, the meeting where, where I really felt that my call to pastoral ministry kind of was cemented come to mind. I grew up in a church, and before my, my senior year in high school, I had this, this kind of moment where I was deeply convicted that if I were going to claim to be Christian, if I were going to say, yes, I follow Jesus, that that meant I had to live in a certain way. Uh, so that was between my junior and senior year of high school. But I didn't think it meant being a pastor. It was just this deep, deep conviction of, I need to be doing something with what I claim to believe. And then a, a few years later, uh, after, after college, a few years after college, uh, I was working as a high school youth director at a church that was just a few miles away from the church where I grew up. And my home church was going through some difficult times, where the church was pretty much split right down the middle. And when Presbyterian churches get to a place where they can't work out an issue on their own, the Presbytery, who, who's the, the governing body of our, our, our area, I guess you could say, um, will come in with something called an administrative commission. And the administrative commission will come in and it will take authority away from the pastor, take authority away from the session, and it will kind of just survey the church and say, what is going on? What, what is going on in the church? And that's what was happening at my home church. Now, my dad was an elder in that church. My mentor was one of the associate pastors of that church. And the pastor at the church where I served was one of the members of the administrative commission who had stepped in to take over authority of that church. So I got to see this process from all different angles, from all different sides. A meeting was called to give space for the administrative commission to hear from the congregation. And the meeting was in a church where there were, there were two aisles, and at the front of each aisle there was a, a microphone stand. And I remember sitting in the back of that church and watching as my Sunday school teachers, my youth advisors, the, 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 the people who had mentored me, stood in each aisle, stood in each aisle and kind of pled their case for where they stood, really against one another. It was painful. You're saying, this is, this is how you were called the ministry? Yeah, I'll get there. So they're standing in each aisle. They're, they're, they're kind of bearing their soul, talking about a, a difficult situation. And then the moderator of the meeting stood up and said, we're here because we have two groups who believe they have discerned where God is leading in a different way. And we're here, he went on, because we're Presbyterian. And this is how Presbyterians handle disagreement when it comes to discerning God's will. The moderator, throughout the rest of that meeting, worked through a very contentious meeting with incredible grace. Some of you know him as Gary Demarest. 
He kept everything in order and he, he reminded each side of our, uh, each side that, that we're here really to seek after what God has for us and to love our neighbor even in the midst of this disagreement. Now, it sounds funny to say, but it was at some point during that meeting where I said, God's calling me to be a pastor. God, God's calling me to be a pastor. And again, I had already kind of felt a nudge that I have to do something with my faith, but it was at that moment where I felt called to vocational ministry. There was something thrilling about discerning God's will and direction within a community. I felt that way then, and I feel that way today. The first few chapters of Acts describe a community that, that experienced that same sort of thrill. That we're trying to figure out, all right, what, what does God have for us? For a, for a while, the early church community in Acts, as they're, they're beginning to kind of build momentum, they can just kind of say, well, the Spirit's leading. And just kind of walk the way that the Spirit's meeting, leading. But then, as they start to, to grow, they, they need more structure. And, and they need to say, well, how, how do we continue to do this together? How do we continue on this, this journey with one another, figuring out what God has for us? They didn't know what to do next or how it was supposed to all look, but they leaned into God. And as they listened, they eventually found that every person in their community, even as it changed, had a role. From the beginning, there's this, this steadfast commitment to, to four areas, the steadfast commitment or devotion to four areas. First, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, there was definitely disagreement within the members of the early church. There was definitely some, some disagreement. Some of them thought Jesus was going to come back in the next year. Some of them thought Jesus was coming back down the road. Some of them ha had different views on how the church should relate to the rest of, of society, about who should lead, about how they should be led. They had disagreement within their, their, their community. But when it came to what the apostles taught, which was largely what the twelve repeated, or how the twelve repeated what Jesus had taught them, they shared a strong commitment. Secondly, that the fellowship of believers, they recognized the importance of being in community with one another. That the, the unity in their, in their commitment was important. They couldn't live out their faith on their own. They needed everyone else. The breaking of the bread. There's a bit of debate on, on whether or not here Luke is referring to a, a ritual meal, meal, something like the Lord's Supper, or whether he's just saying getting together for pancakes like we did last Sunday. But... By placing the breaking of bread between something uh, fellowship referred to worship as much as it did to being with one another and prayer, I'm kind of led to believe he's talking more about something like the Lord's Supper. And to prayer. The apostles had witnessed Jesus' prayer life. They had even asked him to teach them how to pray. And I have to imagine it's one of the things that they taught the rest of the early Christians as well. This is what Jesus taught us now you go and do likewise. And those four devotions, they led to four tangible results. They're filled with awe as they witnessed what God was doing. They, they prioritized building a community together, going as far as selling all that they had to take care of one another's needs. Now, often when we, we read this part of the church's story, we, we miss a line at the tail end of Acts 2.47, where Luke writes that they had the goodwill of all people. 
And what does it mean that they had the goodwill of all people? It, it, it means that they had the goodwill of those who lived around Jerusalem, not just those who were in the church. Yes, they butted heads with, with kind of the religious elite and authority in the days, but the rest, kind of the common folk who lived in Jerusalem, they looked at the early church and they said, wow, they add value. They add value to our society. Now, I can't help but, but think and get excited about what it would look like for the rest of the Conejo Valley to look at the churches in our area and say, man, they're doing great things. They add value to our community, whether or not they're sitting in here on Sunday morning or, or not. There was something contagious about the way that the early church lived together. So there was, there was growth. Again, people saw it. They said they're adding value to our community. They said, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. But in the same way that, that churches today experience growing pains, the early church did as well. And when we get to Acts 1, it's obvious that there's a schism. There were two main groups within, within the early church, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. The, the Hebrews were, were the Palestinian Jews. They were the, the, the folks who, if you remember back to, to the exile, they were the folks who were exiled to Babylon. But then... They came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple with, with Nehemiah and Ezra. So they're the folks who were exiled, but then they came back. And they, and they valued everything that was, was about Jerusalem. So they came back to Jerusalem to, to rebuild the city. And then there's the Hellenists. And the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. So they moved throughout the Mediterranean world, but hung on to what they believed. So one group lived in Jerusalem, the other on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And because both groups were present at Pentecost, both were a part of the early church. And so you have both the Hellenists and, and, and the, the, the Palestinian Jews, they, they were butting heads. In some ways, it's always been that way. The Hellenistic Jews were, were, also, uh, were always kind of viewed as second-class citizens by those who lived in Jerusalem. And the Hellenistic Jews thought that the Palestinian Jews were, were narrow-minded because they had more experience in the world. They had been to different parts of the world. Now, the early church wasn't immune to what was going on in their culture. These were tensions that were felt in their culture, and it impacted the early church. I think sometimes it's a mistake to say, well, when we're in, in the church, we're, we're not impacted by what's going on in our culture. We all bring what's going on in our culture, into church every Sunday. Our, our, our different worldviews, our different backgrounds, our different histories. We all carry that when we come and, and sit down and worship with one another. And yet, I think the early church proves that when a diverse group of people rally around the apostles' teaching, when they share in fellowship with one another, and they worship together when they commit to prayer that God moves in mighty ways. So as the church grew, members in the community, in this case, widows, were being neglected. And the twelve apostles come together almost in the same way that our session gathers to come up with a solution. To say, how, how does this look? It's not about getting their way or about proving a point. It's about discerning where God was leading for the entire community. And the apostles, they asked the Hellenists to select seven leaders with some pretty specific qualities. 
These leaders needed to have a good reputation within the community, and they're supposed to be wise and full of the Spirit. They selected uh, leaders for a, a specific role. These is where we get the first deacon, and really, in, in the most basic understanding of the word, deacon just means servant. It just means servant. So that the first deacons were selected, the servants of, of the church. And while they were serving the church in one way, the apostles would remain devoted to praying and to teaching God's word. In a couple of weeks, our, our nominating committee is going to begin the process of, of looking for our next, uh, our next year's deacons and, and elders. And um, if you're looking for, well, what is a deacon and what is an elder? Uh, you can find it right here in Acts 6, right here in Acts 6, 3 and 4. It was fairly early on that the, the early church learned that if they were going to continue to have a sustained impact on the world, people in their growing community would need to be a part of it. They, they, they needed to have, everyone need to have a role. And one of my prayers for us as a church is that we would be a place where every person knows their role, where each of us would recognize the unique gifts that God has gifted each of us with, and that we'd be invited to use them. For some of us, that's being an elder or a deacon. For others, it's, it's singing in the choir or volunteering with kids. There are plenty of ways to get plugged in at this church. And when we're at our best as a church, every one of us is contributing in, in some way. We're all using our gifts. So this week, what I want to ask of us is that, that each of us would, would spend some time, spend some time kind of praying about what that role looks like. What does your role look like here at Westminster Presbyterian Church? And then I want to encourage you to, to do something that, that, I mean, we can all kind of check in on, on one another next week and say, hey, did, did you do your homework? I want to encourage us to spend some time asking what's our role of ourselves and then sharing it. You can share it with me. You can share it with an elder. Elder, can you raise your hand if you're on session right now? Can you raise your hand? She can all share it with Jean and Aubrey and Greg. Um, there's other elders, elders as well. Um, so, so, and Ron's up there. Um, share what you think your role is with an elder, with John, with me, with somebody on staff. Share what you think your role is. The truth is, None of us can do this journey alone. None of us can do this journey alone. There, there's a moment in the book of Exodus where, where Moses is leading the Israelites through the wilderness. And Jethro, his, his father-in-law, he, he saw Moses and he says, Man, Moses is exhausted. There's, there's something weighing on Moses' heart. What is it? What is it that's weighing him down? He sees that God has used Moses in, in, in mighty ways. And he, he pulls Moses aside and he says, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all of the people stand around you from morning until evening? And he continues, What you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you. For the task is too heavy for you. The task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Jethro goes on to tell Moses that, that he should continue to represent his people in front of God, but that he also needed to delegate certain roles to leaders in the community. It's the same sort of thing that happens here in Acts. The exact same sort of thing. 
Jesus shared his ministry with his disciples. And the disciples were now called to expand that circle even larger, to share the ministry that Jesus had, had led them into with other people and the rest of the church. And that, that circle just continues to grow. We were never meant to journey alone. We were never meant to be the church on our own. We were meant to all have a role as we journey together. Let's pray. God, we want to experience the sort of awe that the early church experienced. Lord, we want to see you move in mighty ways. And Lord, we want to be a part of it. And if that's going to happen, we, we all need to know what our role is here at WPC. Lord, help us to find that role. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.